0: Would you guys mind doing something real quick? Would you stand back up to your feet? Um, we're going to take a second, and we're going to sing through this, this chorus again, just uh, praying this morning uh, for the victims Amen. in Pittsburgh. Yeah. I think uh, we have a freedom in this country to worship. And it's one of the great things about the nation that we live in, this freedom that we have to to proclaim God, to lift him up, we sing songs like this, you never fail, you never will. And I can't imagine what some of those families are feeling today in this moment. But the reality is we have seen this fight from the victory. And the reality is we know that we have an enemy of this world that wants nothing more than to steal, kill, and destroy. But the way we overcome evil you know, is, is not with more evil, is not with more hate. The way we overcome hate is by being light and being the hope. So can we do this one more time? Just bow your heads. If you wanna lift your hands up, you can. But I just, I kinda wanna sing this as a chorus. Just one more time together. You never fail, you never will. And let's just pray for peace for those families that lost so much, that lost everything. Come on, one more time. we trust in this moment that your peace that passes all of our understanding that we can't fathom, we can't wrap our mind around right now would comfort those who lost so much. We have seen this fight from the victory. We know that ultimately you are victorious, that you have the final word spoken over our lives, the final word spoken in this world. And so we ask God that you would overcome evil, that you would overcome hate, God, that you would come bring a revival, that you would come bring restoration, that you would come uh, stamp out the darkness with your light. Let us be a part of that light. God, work through us as this church. Your, Your word says that as we cry out to you in heaven, you will hear our prayers and you will heal our land. God, we need that now like never before. It's just another tragedy, just another reminder of how desperate we are for you. So Jesus, we call upon you. We ask you to heal. We ask you to provide grace and mercy. We ask you to comfort those who are broken. Your word says you will draw near to the brokenhearted. So Jesus, would you do that right now? It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, church, for praying with me. Would you go ahead and have a seat? Thanks, Dave. Thank you. Um, we are in a series. Man, I gotta make a, a hard transition now because uh, we're in a series talking about our money. We're in a series called Multiply. And this is really a series about how we honor God, handling what He gave us. I don't know if you realize this, but God's favorite kind of math is, in fact, multiplication. I mean, He loves to, to bless us, He loves to, to pour out His blessings on us. And before we dive in, to our context today and to the content that I believe we have, uh, God has for us today. I wanna remind the guys that this Thursday is our brotherhood night, all right? So sisters, you had your shot. This Thursday is for the guys. and I wanna see all you guys there. Really, it's gonna be a great night, thank you. It's gonna be a great night to worship, to engage in God's word, to really kind of lift each other up. We're just gonna have an awesome time together. We're gonna eat some wings, have some fire. It's gonna be a great night. I do need the ladies' help though. Put it on their calendar, because they're not gonna do it. All right, so make sure that you get your guys here on Thursday. All right, we're in this series called Multiply, and it might surprise you that Jesus actually talked about money more than he talked about heaven and more than he talked about hell Combined. Half of the parables that Jesus taught in the Bible had to do with our money, had to do with our stuff. One out of six verses in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke have to do with our money. So it's a pretty big topic in God's Word. Why is that? It's because money can dominate our lives. Money can be used uh, for, for good, money can be used. For, for bad, right? It's either good or it's bad. It can be used for great things or it can be used for terrible things. And so God's word has a lot to say about it. That's why we're talking about it, one reason. Another reason is because you're talking about it. In fact, money is dominating most of our thoughts. I found this study this week that if you're between the ages of 18 and 24 years old, the thing that you think about, uh, 26% of your day is money, is your stuff, 26% of the day. It's almost uh, the, the thing that you think about most if you're between 18 and 24. What you think about most is actually dating and relationships, all right, if you're 18 to 24. But if you are 25 to 34, money dominates your thoughts, 32% of your day. It's meant thinking about money, 35 to 44, it's 30% of what you think about every day. 45 to 54, 28%, 55 to 64, 24%, and it's still the most that you think about, what well, you think about more than anything, but at 65 plus, right? you only think about it 18% of your day. It's the second most thing that dominates your thoughts. What is most when you're 65 and over is your health. You think about what's failing and what's falling apart, right? So. We're talking about it because you are. We're talking about it because you're thinking about it. And if you don't learn to manage your money, your money is going to manage you. And so this weekend we're gonna dive into, um, and this is gonna be a lot of fun. This is one of the most misunderstood parables, misunderstood stories that Jesus ever told. It's in Luke chapter 16 if you have your Bible. The reason why I think this is confusing is because it appears at first glance that Jesus is approving of dishonesty. He's not, but he looks like he is because he's using a crook as the hero of the story. And he's using a crook as the hero because of who he's talking to. He's talking to the Pharisees. The Pharisees are, are the arch. Nemesis, right, the, the nemeside, if that's a word, uh, of Jesus. And so let's read this together. I'll make a couple of comments on it. We're gonna get real practical. But Luke 16, starting in verse one, says this, Jesus told the disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting, underline that word in your Bible, wasting his possessions. So he called him in and he asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your Management. We're gonna come back to that too because you cannot be a manager no mo. Verse three, the manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master's taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed, too ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first one, how much do you owe? My master, uh, 900 gallons of olive oil. He replied, the manager told him, all right, quick, take your bill, sit down, make it 450. Let's not tell anybody about this. Let's not tell the master about this, but go ahead, let's do this under the table. Then he asked the second guy, how much do you owe? He said, 1,000 bushels of wheat. And he replied, "Uh, take your bill and make it 800. So again, kind of being a little shady, right? Just kind of doing this deal under the table. And the master, look at this, commended him. Isn't strange, right? It gets stranger. Commended him, commended the dishonest manager because he had acted, what's that word? Shrewdly. Shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of light. And then it gets even more weird. I tell you, Jesus says, Use worldly wealth to gain friends. What are you talking about? Buy my friends? Use my stuff to, to gain friends? Uh, we're, we're gonna talk about that for yourself so that when it is gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with a little will be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling your stuff, and handling worldly wealth Who's gonna trust you with true riches? What are true riches? We're gonna talk about that. If you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? One more, no one can serve two masters. Either you're gonna hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, this could be the most frustrating story uh, that Jesus has ever told. Most shocking for sure, because it seems like he's using this crook again as the hero of the story. So it's important to note a couple of things right off the bat. First is Jesus is not praising this guy for his dishonesty. He's praising him for his shrewdness. What does is, what is that mean? We're going we're gonna to define that in a moment. The second thing I think we need to understand in this story is that you can learn from anyone um, if you know the right questions to ask See, I think we we have a problem doing this today. We think that if someone does not agree with me 100% or if I don't agree with them 100%, then I can't learn anything from them. And it's just not true. I learn from people all the time that I don't agree with. You know, if you go around thinking you can't learn from someone unless they agree with you 100% of the time, then you're not gonna learn anything because no one agrees with you 100% of the time. Have you talked to your wife lately, right? Have you talked to your husband lately, right? I mean, we don't agree 100% of the time. So I think it's nonsense to say that if, that if I, you know, I don't agree with you on everything, you know, in your life, then I can't learn from you. For example, um, if I'm going to go tandem skydiving, which I have before, uh, which I'll never do again, by the way, where you're strapped to some dude's front side, which that's weird uh, in and But if you've ever gone, you jump out of a plane and you're strapped to this guy. When I arrived at the place I went uh, skydiving, my first question to this guy wasn't, did you go to church this week? (laughs) Wasn't, are you a Christian? Wasn't, how many times did you read your Bible? You know what my first question was to him? Have you ever done this before, right? because that's what I care about in the moment. It doesn't matter how he was living his life. He could be a terrible husband. He could be, and I'm just hoping that that wasn't the day God decided to take him out, you know, with me strapped to him, <laughs> but like, it doesn't matter. I don't have to agree 100% with him in order to, to learn from, from him. And so I think it's nonsense for us to think, hey man, I gotta, I gotta agree with you. So what I'm saying is this guy is dishonest. Yes, don't learn that part. Right. Let's eat the fish and leave the bones because I think there are some some, um, things here that God wants to show us about our money that he did right. And Jesus tells this story for two main reasons. Uh, One has to do with who he's talking to. Again, he's talking to the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the elite of the day. These guys were not humble. They were proud, they were arrogant, they were demeaning, they were demanding, um, they were prideful, self righteous, they didn't really like people all that much. But the word Jesus used to describe them over and over and over again was the word hypocrites. They were hypocrites because they would say one thing and do another. They would, they would tell people that they should do something that they themselves would not do. And so Jesus loved to challenge these guys. He loved to kind of poke at them. He loved to kind of give them a, a gut punch, uh, so to speak, from time to time. Because Jesus has this amazing ability of, of comforting the afflicted while afflicting the comfortable. You know what I'm saying? Like, like he wants to do that. If you walk through these doors today and you, are, you have some affliction, like God wants to comfort you. I believe that. But if you walk through these doors and you're all comfortable, think you got it all together, he might want to you know, bring some pain into your life because pain is a great indication that something needs to change. And so Jesus knew that. He has this ability to do that. And so talking to these Pharisees, uh, he loved like shocking them by using this crook as the hero. Keep reading verse 14. It says the Pharisees dearly love money. Jesus knew that. So when, he heard what Jesus, when they heard what Jesus said, they made fun of him, but Jesus told them, you're always making yourselves look good, but God knows what's really going on. You can play the game, you can put on the face, but God knows what's in your heart. The things that most people think are important are worthless as far as God is concerned. That phrase right there is why we're talking about this today. The things that most people think are important Are worthless. I'm calling this message multiplying what really matters. So, what really matters? What do we think matters? In our culture, we think power matters, position, possession, um, you know, popularity, those are the things we think matter. Sex, status, uh, you know, salary, those are the things. God says that's not what matters. What most people think matters is not what what really matters. Those aren't the important things in life. Jesus himself said, don't conform to the patterns of this world, right? Don't conform to what culture says is important. Instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, by the way that you think. I wanna teach you a whole new way to think as it relates to your money, as it relates to your your finances. Um, And this, by the way, is countercultural. This is, this is radical. Uh, what God says about money is the exact opposite of everything that we have learned. And so I think one of the reasons Jesus told this story was because of his audience, his Pharisees. But I also think because of us. Because if we can just be honest and call it what it is, many believers, many followers of Jesus, we're not really good money managers, Spending more than we make. We talked about this, the scarcity cycle last week. Some of you find yourself in that scarcity cycle, spending more than we make, going month to month, paycheck to paycheck, right? We're just not very good at managing our stuff. We hear terms like emergency fund, and we're like, that's ridiculous. I don't even know what that is, right? And so I think this is one of the things that Jesus wants to teach us out of this parable. And he's got a lot of things to say about it. Now, real quick, puts you at ease, This is not a message about tithing. I did that last week, all right? And if you are dying to go hear a message on tithing and you missed it, you can go back to the podcast or or through the app and you can listen to it. This is not about that. This is a message on how to manage your money well. How to manage, how to see your money the way that God sees it, how to think about your money the way that God thinks about it. Because for many of us, let's be honest, this is a tremendous source of worry. This is a tremendous source of stress in our life. This is the number one cause of divorce and marriage, money problems. It's not until death do us part, it's until debt do us part, you know what I'm saying? And so that's why we're talking about it because God has so much to say. Now, Jesus doesn't praise this guy for being dishonest. He praises him for his shrewdness. What does that mean? It means he's smart. It means he's resourceful. It means he, he sees a problem and he figures out a way to, to fix it, how, how, to, how to do it. And I think what God wants us to learn from this is how to be biblically shrewd when it comes to our money. And from this story, we learn four things. I'll, I'll have you take notes, four things not to do with your money. God says, don't do these things. And then five things that you need to do. Four things not to do, five things that you need to remember to do every day. If you can add, that's a total of nine things. I'm setting a record today, all right? This is going to be a nine-point message. Come on, right? And some of you are going, how on earth is he going to get through all nine points? I don't really know. I do know we're wasting time, so let's go right now. Number one, four things not to do. Don't waste it. Don't waste it. That's the first thing that we learn in this parable. The the manager was accused of wasting his master's stuff. He knew it wasn't his. It belonged to the master. If I walk around thinking it's my stuff, well, of course I own it. Of course I made it. Of course it's mine. Then I don't have a problem wasting it. I don't have a problem spending it. But instead, if I think, hey, it's not mine. It belongs to someone else. It's it's God's. Then all of a sudden, I don't want to waste what God's given me. I don't want to waste God's money. This is a big difference. Don't waste it. Here's the second thing not to do. I told you I was going fast. Don't love it. Don't waste it. Don't love it. Don't love it. Uh, don't live for it. That's what he says in verse 13. No servant can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot, circle cannot, cannot, You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot. It's impossible. You're not to divide your allegiance to the two. You can't serve them both. Have you ever tried to work for two bosses? How would that work out? It doesn't work very well, does it? You you can't do it. See, it's, it's a... Uh, the heart of the problem ultimately is a problem of the heart. And God says, I don't want half of it. I don't want part of it. I don't want you to divide it. I don't want the whole thing. You can't divide your heart. And God is not vague on this point. Jesus does not pull any punches. Uh, he basically says, You have to choose. What's gonna be number one in your life? You can't have two number ones, it's impossible. Your number one can't be make as much money as you want, you know, and, and run after money, and also your number one is run after God and live for him with your full heart. You have to decide. Now, real quick, that doesn't mean don't make money. Like, make a ton of money, go for it, that's awesome. But make sure it's not number one in your heart. Make sure it's a byproduct of you first serving and loving God with all of your Heart, So don't waste it, don't love it. Here's the third thing, don't trust it. Don't trust in your money for your security. Listen, I don't care how much you have, how many of you know, you can lose it real quick, right? It could be gone. So don't put your trust in it, he says. It shouldn't be your, your security blanket. The manager learned this really quick in verse three. He said, now what am I gonna do? I lost my job. Something that I thought was secure, something that I thought was stable, I lost. And many of you know this feeling all too well. You've lost your job, you've been out of work, and all of a sudden that source of income, that source of security that you had was taken out from under you. Can I tell you, it's always a bad idea to take security in things that can be taken from you. Always a bad idea. Don't put your security in something that can be taken from you. For example, if you put your security in your in your looks in your good looks, you can lose your good looks. I'm here to tell you, you're not always going to be as sexy as you are right now. All right, just you should know that. They fade. They looks looks looks. You know, they don't last. Don't put your security in your your marriage. You can lose a marriage. Don't put security in in relationships. Don't put your security in loved ones. You can lose loved ones. Don't put security in your bank account. There's thousands of different ways you can lose your money. There's only one thing that's a sure thing that's a secure thing, and that is at the center of your life, you put your security in one thing that can never be taken from you. You know what that is? God's love for you. God's love for you can never be taken from you. His love never fails, right? And so it's the only thing that is a sure thing. It's the only thing that's a secure thing. You can try to lose God's love for you, but you're going to fail because his love is not based on you, it's based on him. He loves you unconditionally. Proverbs 23, five says this, look at it. Your money, if you're taking security in it, can be gone in a flash as if it had grown wings and flown flown away like an eagle. I love that. I want to fly like an eagle. Come on. To the sea. I don't even know who's saying that, but I, whatever. It can fly away, right? Uh, that's so obvious. In fact, the U.S. government did you a solid, and on every dollar they printed an eagle, just to remind you that it can fly away. Do you know that? <laughs> like that, every time you see a dollar, you pull one out, you should think to yourself, "This is going to be gone as soon as that, you know, is going to be gone." Uh, therefore, don't love it, don't trust it, don't waste it. Here's the fourth thing not to do: don't expect it to satisfy. If you think that having more will make you more, make you more happy. If I have more, I'll be, you know, uh, I'll be more content or I'll be more secure. I'll be more important or I'll be more, more valuable. Listen, you're fooling yourself. It's not going to, it doesn't work. It never satisfies. This world has nothing that permanently satisfies us. The more you have, the more you want. Howard Hughes once said when asked, how much does it take Uh, to make a man happy. He responded by saying, just a little bit more. We just want a little bit more. We just need a little bit more. That's why Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, whoever loves money will never have enough. You just kind of constantly want it. So that's why you can't love it, which was one of the points. You don't love it. And whoever loves wealth will never be satisfied with his income. You're always going to want More. So Jesus comes along in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, and says, so guard against all kinds of greed. Because your life is not about the accumulation of stuff. Your life uh, doesn't consist in in what you own. He says, your life's not measured in how much stuff you have. In other words, your self-worth is not tied to your net worth. Just because you have valuables, you know, that does not determine your value. Let me tell you something. You are valuable. You are valuable if if you go around saying, well, I got a lot, so I must be valuable. I have a lot, you know, so I must be worth something. You're worth something because God made you. He created you. Jesus paid everything for you when he died on the cross for you. So you are valuable. You just might not have the right reason as to why. So it's not about your stuff. And don't ever expect your stuff to ultimately satisfy you. So those are the four things that you shouldn't do. Here are the five things with the time we have left that God says to do that we need to be reminded of every single day. These are radical, these are revolutionary um, and basically the exact opposite again of everything we've been taught. But here's my promise, if you live by these principles, your stress will decrease and your joy and your happiness will increase. Less stress, more peace. How many people say that sounds good? All right, let's go, let's go. Here's the first thing I need to remember, write it down. What I think I own is really on loan. Then that rhymes, because we all know it's true. If it rhymes, it's true, right? What I think I own is really on loan. In other words, it doesn't belong to me. The thing we need to understand is that it all belongs to God. God created the heavens and the earth. He created you, he knit you together, Like we don't own anything. Listen, you didn't own it before you were born. You're not gonna own it when you die. What you have is simply on loan and on average for about 80 years or so. That's about how much time we get on this earth. And while you're here, you get to use it, but you don't own it. And in the story, the owner has all this property, right? And he lets this guy manage it. Well, God has given us management. We're all in a management position. There are things under our management. And we need to understand that everything that we have is a gift from God. If it, I wouldn't take my next breath if it wasn't a gift from God. And people will say, well, I worked this, I built this with my own hands. Well, who do you think gave you your hands to make that? Like everything that you own, everything that we have is a gift from God that's all on loan. And God is watching to see what we do with it. And if you start looking at everything in your life this way, it's gonna radically change your life. I promise you, you're gonna, you're gonna worry less. If you leave here and you go and you get in your car and you think, this isn't my car, this is God's car, uh, you know, he just loaned it to me, you know, for a little while, um, uh, and you drive that car that you don't own to your house. This isn't my house, this is God's house. You know, it's just on loan to me. This isn't my dish that I'm eating off of. This is God's dish, it's just on, on loan to me. This isn't my bed, this is God's bed. If you start thinking everything in your life that way, it's going to reduce your stress, it's going to reduce your worry. Colby, how does that work, why, why is that? Because here's what you can do. If you get in that car that you don't own, and you drive up Peach Street and you get in an accident, You get in a fender bender, you can say, hey God, your car's busted. (laughs) Right? What do you wanna do about it? It's not my car, that's your car. You gave me money to buy it, do you want me to get it fixed? Or you can say, hey God, my kid needs braces. That's where we are right now. What do you wanna do about it? You want your kid to have some jacked up teeth or do you wanna get my kid braces, right? (laughs) Whatever you wanna say. And it's really this reality of understanding I'm not the manager of it. And so I'm not the master of my faith. I'm not the master of of my stuff that God has has loaned it to me. Therefore, I need to worry, uh, not worry, and he's going to provide for me. I would encourage you to read Matthew chapter six. Just read the whole thing, specifically verses 25 through 34. It's all about worry. And if you're living your life this way, worried about what you're gonna eat, what you're gonna wear, where you're gonna get your next you know meal from he says don't do it he's closed the 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 fields you know with with flowers how, how much more is he going to take care of you but if i'm in charge of it then i got to pay for it all if it's mine and i don't see it as being on loan then i have to worry about where it's going to come from does that make sense if i'm the employee and god's the employer then he's in charge of the benefits package for my life And the very first verse in this story says, the owner enlisted a manager to take care of his stuff. God has enlisted you to take care of his stuff. He's enlisted you to take care of his property. Let me ask you this question. How well are you taking care of God's property? And not just your money, by the way. How about your body? Because your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit of God, right? Your body is is not your own. How about your time? How about your influences? How about, how about, you know, anything that you have? How well are you taking care of God's property because what you think you own is really just on loan? Here's the second thing you need to remind yourself every single day is that the money test goes both ways. What's that about? Uh, last week, if you didn't, weren't here, you need to go back and listen to it. We talked about how this is the one area that God says, test me. Right, and Micah, test me in this. See if I don't open the floodgates of heaven. Just trust me, you know, with your stuff. But you should know that this test goes both ways. That money and finances is the number one way that God tests us. And by the way, you can't blame God for that. Because he wants to know, are you being faithful with it? If you'll be faithful with a little, I'll give you more. If I can't trust you with this, then I'm not gonna trust you with more. And you do the same thing. If any of you have a, a, a money uh, manager, a financial advisor, you know, if you give him money and he's not faithful with it and he's not doing very well at managing it, are you going to give him more? Probably not. And God does the, the same thing for us. This is a Test. Our life is a test. This is a temporary assignment, and God is testing us. And you don't have to agree with this. You don't have to like it, but this is what God's word says. That God's favorite tool to test us is in the area of our finances. Why is that, Colby? Because it tests three things. Jot these down. Money tests what I love the most. What I love most. In other words, what I spend my money on reveals to God, and it reveals to everyone else what I love most because whatever I love most gets the most of my time, gets the most of my, my money. I don't care what you say you love most. You, if, in fact, I'll just say this. If you wanna see for sure what it is that you love most, you don't have to look any further than your calendar and your credit cards, right? That's it. And it will show you what you love most because the way you spend your time and money reveals what you love the most. When I uh, first fell in love with Kristen in college, um, I could not keep money in my pocket. You know what I'm saying? Because I just wanted to spend it on her. Like we just, we went out to lunch, we went out to dinner. I was working at American Eagle, right? Making like, I don't know, three bucks an hour back then. I don't know what it was. But I was just, everything that would come in would just go right to Kristen. And we went to college, we had a meal plan, but it didn't matter, we went to Subway like every single day, We'd just take her there, just kinda of spend money, spend money, spend money, because I, I loved her so much, I just wanted to, to do for her. I just wanted to, to give, you know, and, and be with her. And then when we got married, it continued on just a little bit in the early years of our marriage, and I'd see things on TV, uh, and I'm like, oh, she'd really like that, like a, like a flow bee. Does anybody remember the flow bee? We had a flow bee. A flow bee is a vacuum hair clipper thing. It's amazing. It's awesome. I don't know why every woman wouldn't want a flow bee. I mean, they're, they're unbelievable. But it was kind of like, man, I just, it was just burning holes in my pocket. What you love the most, right, is, is revealed through where you spend the most time, where you spend the most, most money. You spell love, G-I-V-E. You can Give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. You can't do it. Giving of your heart, giving of your time, giving of your resources. You just, you just can't do it. When you love, you you give. This is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6. Don't store up your treasure here on earth. In other words, don't pile it up. Don't hoard it. Right? Don't pull it together or worship it. Instead, store your treasure up in heaven because wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. It reveals your heart. Where you you store up your treasure reveals where your heart is. And by the way, the antithesis of this is true as well. If you want your heart to be in something, then you put your money towards it. If you want to be interested in something, then you put your treasure towards it. For example, probably none of us care how Microsoft does as a company, but if you bought stock in it, and you started investing in it, you would really quickly start to care whether it succeeded or or it failed, right? Because you're invested in it. And so I'd say if you want your heart towards something, well then you put your treasure that way as well. Where your treasure is, your heart is. So it tests what you love most. It also tests, write it down, what you trust the most. Am I trusting in my money for security? Or am I trusting in God? Am I trusting in my, my riches or am I trusting in God who richly provides for everything that I need? Am I trusting in my money for happiness or am I trusting in God for my, my fulfillment and my joy in life? It tests what I trust most. Proverbs 11:28 says, if you trust in your money, you're gonna fall, but if you trust in God, you're going to flourish, you're gonna grow. You're gonna have strong roots. You're gonna experience strength and power in your life. I would say this. If you came through these doors today and you feel distant from God, you'd say, Colby, I feel like a million miles from God. I love God. You know, I just don't feel like there's this connection there. I would honestly challenge you in this area. I would challenge you to check your checkbook, check where your resources are going. And again, I'm not talking about to the church. I'm saying, what about that subscription? Is your heart really more in that subscription that you're, you're spending monthly for? And you're watching, you know, binge watching The Office episodes over and over and over. Like, check your heart. Like, well, where's, where's, your, where's your time going? Where are your resources going? Because if there's no power in your life, this is one of those areas, hey, put your trust in God, and you're gonna flourish, the Bible says, like a green Tree, So it tests whether um, you, you, what you love, and it tests where you put your trust, but it also tests this, write it down. It tests if God can trust you. So this is the reverse. It doesn't just trust, test, you know, if you trust God or not, it tests if God can trust me. Because God says, look, I want to see how well you're using this. I want to see how well you're managing what I've given you. Are, are you blowing it? Or can I just trust you with more? Because an out-of-control um Finances reveals an out-of-control life. Unmanaged kind of finances points to an unmanaged kind of, of life. And that's why this next verse is probably the most important, one of the most important scriptures in the entire Bible. And when I finally understood this, it radically changed the way I thought about and the way I saw money and finances, and I never looked at it the same way again. I got off the whole rat race you know, of trying to get more and more and more and more. I got off the whole you know, trying to keep up with the Joneses, Joneses, which by the way, if you win the rat race, you're still a rat. I don't know if you realize that or not. So like, what's the point anyway? But this verse right here says, verse 10 through 12, whoever can be trusted with the little can be trusted with much. And I took that as God saying, Colby, can I trust you with even a little? I know you want more. I know you, you want to be significant, or I know you want this or that, you know, or status or whatever the world says is important, but can I trust you with this? Because then I know you can be trusted with more. And who's ever dishonest with a little can be dishonest, would be dishonest with, with much. Or I would say who's ever irresponsible with a little will be irresponsible with much. If you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, what does that mean? That means if you're not a good money manager, if you're spending more than you make, if you're living you know, beyond your means, if you're in that scarcity cycle, you're caught up in that, then who's gonna trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? In other words, God is saying, can I trust you with a little? Can I trust you with a little? What's on loan to you? And if I can't, then why should I give you more? Let's say, Just for sake of argument, you were the son or the daughter of the most wealthy person on the planet, which right now is Jeff Bezos, who owns Amazon.com, all right? He's worth like $109 billion. Let's just say you were his kid, and he comes up to you and says, hey, I want to give you everything I own. I want you to inherit it all, but... I'm not gonna give you it all right now. I'm just gonna give you a little bit because I wanna see how you handle a little bit. And if you're Jeff Bezos' kid, a little bit is like $10 million. So he gives you $10 million to see how you handle it. Can I trust you with it? And can you prove to me that you are are, are worthy of my trust with it? Because if you are, then I want to give you it all. Listen to me, this is exactly what Jesus is saying. Like when, When I understood this, it just blew my mind. He's saying there is a direct connection between our money and our spiritual maturity. There's a direct connection between the way God blesses us and what we do with what he's blessed us with. It's like, it's, it's unbelievable. Maybe you've never heard that before, but there is the direct connection, the way we handle what God has given us. This is what Jesus says right here, right here. So it's a money test. Money, do I, do I trust God and can God trust me here's here's the third thing jot this down money is a temporary tool in building god's eternal purposes what what do you mean colby it's a it's a a tool i thought money was the the root of all evil no the love of money right is the root of all evil money is not necessarily evil money can be used to build great churches it can be used to do great things it can also be used to finance you know a a drug ring i don't know just it can be used for bad things as well And Luke 16, 9 says, I tell you, this is Jesus, use it. Underline that, highlight that, circle it, use your worldly wealth. Look up here real quick, real quick. The Bible tells us over and over and over again, we are to love people and use our money. Love people, use our money. The problem is a lot of times we get that mixed up. And we love money and use people. And when you love money, when that's the heart of it, where you're trying to divide your, you know, you can't serve both, but it's, it's more towards this and, and being secure and all that, well, then you use people oftentimes to, to get more money. We're not to use it. I mean, we're not to use people, we are to use our, our money. We're not to hoard it, we're not to stockpile it. Uh, I know a guy who says that money is like manure. If you spread it all around, it helps things grow. If you pile it up in one place, it sure does stink, right? And so we're to use what we have. Jesus says, these are temporary resources that I've given you and you need to use them for eternal purposes. All right, Colby, how do I, how do, I do that? I, I would argue a couple different ways. One is you can use your money to help save lives. Honestly, like you see disasters, you see people in need, like man, use, use your resources, use what God has given you. It's not for you anyway, it's to help others. And I would also argue maybe a not so obvious way to use it for good and for God is to save time with it. What do you mean, use it to save time? Yeah, like use your money so that you can save time because here's the thing, you can always make more money, but you can't make more time. Like every single one of us, like, you, you can waste time, and he says, don't, don't waste it. If you waste time, you're never gonna get, get that time back in your life, and I would say use your money to, to get time to invest in people, to invest in things that really matter. Use it for good. Your money's a temporary resource that you need to use for eternal purposes. Here's the fourth one, and uh, this is countercultural. Jesus says it, so I really need to teach it, but use your affluence for good influence. Use your affluence for good influence. Verse 9 says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves. What, is that? what does that mean? Why is that so confusing? He's talking about relationships so that when it's gone, they will welcome you into your eternal dwelling. What's, what's that all about? That's heaven. He says, just like this dishonest guy that used this worldly wealth, right, in order to gain friends so that people would welcome them into their homes. He says, we need to use our money to to make spiritual friends, to make eternal friends who will welcome you one day into heaven. Now, this is crazy. He's not saying that you can use your money to buy salvation because you can't. All right, that's already been paid for by Jesus on the cross. You can't use your money to get to heaven because you can't do it. You know, that's, that's a free gift of grace uh, given to us through faith in Jesus. What he's saying is use your money to build relationships, to build spiritual relationships, friendships that will last eternity, spiritual friendships. Use your affluence for good influence. You need to know something. Everybody in this room, you are a spiritual being you are, the spirit part of you will last forever. It's the only thing that lasts on this earth is people. And he says, use your worldly wealth, use your, your money so that the best use of it is to get people into heaven. And what he's saying is one day when you get there, When you cross over from this life to the next, there will be people there welcoming you into heaven, cheering you on, like clapping, congratulating you, saying thank you because of the way you use what God gave you, I'm here. I'm here, this, this blows my mind. Because of the way that you, you gave, because of the, the way that you invested in that radio program, you know, that I heard the gospel being, being taught and I had no idea what that was about. People all over the world, because of the way that you use, your worldly wealth will show up in heaven and say, thank you, I'm only here because of you. Is that unbelievable? Like, that's what God's word says. He says, so use it right, for this, this eternal purpose. Use your affluence for good influence. I have a question. Are you using your money that way? Like, honestly, will there be people in heaven because of the way that you used what God has given you? Like whenever you do support a radio program or, or, or buy a Bible for someone or, or even support this church or any church and people hear the gospel, hear the good news of Jesus, even for years to come, even long after you're gone, that show up in heaven and say, thank you, are you using it for that? That's what storing your treasure up in heaven is all about. That's true riches because true riches are people. It's the only thing... That lasts. Here's, here's the last one. There's just no way around this one. And that is that management is a temporary assignment, one for which I must give an account. See, I think this whole passage, this whole parable that Jesus teaches us is really to get to this point. Because he stops this guy and he says, you must now give an account of your stewardship. You must now give an account of your Your management, I gave you some things to manage. We're all in a position of management. Now report what have you done with what I've given you. And then he says this, because your time is coming to an end. It's temporary. And you should know that. One day there's going to be an audit on your life. One day there's gonna be an audit on my life. I'm gonna stand before God. He's gonna say, Colby, what did you do with what I gave you? And here's what's not gonna matter how much he gave you. We have this issue sometimes of thinking, well, you know, if I had more, I'd do more. Or if I had more, then I, I, you know, I'd be able to, to help more. I could be more, more generous. That's not the question that he's gonna ask you. He's not asking you, how much did I give you? He's asking you, what did you do with what I gave you? See, I look around the room. We have people of all kinds of economic statuses in this church. We have people who are rich, who are wealthy. We have people who are very, very, very poor. And then there's a bunch of us that are somewhere in the middle. And it's not going to matter how much you have. It's going to matter what you did with what you were given. And at the end of the day, he's going to look at us and say, all right, what did you do? And the question is, are you being faithful now? Are you... Positioning yourself now as being a trustworthy manager. Being trustworthy with even a little. You say, Colby, I got a little. Well, be trustworthy with a little. Colby, I got a lot. Be trustworthy with a lot. Now, how are you managing what God gave you? Let's do this. Would you bow your heads? Close your eyes. And let's just, let's take that audit for ourselves right here and right now. As if we understood that one day our management's coming to an end and none of us knows the day or the time that's gonna happen. But we've all been given a certain amount of time to live on this earth, a certain amount of time to breathe, a certain amount of time to work, a certain amount of time to invest in people, a certain amount of time to capitalize on opportunities and have influence. We've all been given a certain amount of time and let's just fast forward and just say, all right, now we're standing before God and he asks us that question. What did you do? with what I gave you. Am I being a good manager? God, help us to be trustworthy. Help us, God, to use whatever you've given us, that worldly wealth, to gain friendships, to gain spiritual friends, eternal friends, to invest in people. Because ultimately, that's what matters. People's lives matter. Their eternity matters. So God, help us to be faithful and good stewards of everything that you are given us. Still, we're praying. Every head bowed, every ass closed. So that's one of the questions God's going to ask. What did you do with what I gave you? The other question he's gonna ask, on that day, when our life is over, he's gonna ask, what did you do with Jesus? Was Jesus the Lord of your life? Or were you just kind of going through the motions of church? Was Jesus uh, who you followed, who you poured your life to? Would you have split focus? Did you try to serve two masters? Who was Jesus? Those are the two questions we're gonna be asked. What did you do with Jesus? And what did you do with what I gave you? For those of you that you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus, you should know that on that day, God's gonna look at you and say, I sent my son to this earth as a perfect child sinless spotless ultimately to live a life of perfection the only one that could because none of us can and to take our punishment on the cross to be the perfect sacrifice for us knowing that we could not get there on our own and so jesus did that for us he died so that we could live and for some of you today you've never received jesus as your lord and savior and that's the first question you're going to be asked in eternity what did you do with jesus if you'd say, I, I want to trust in Jesus. I believe Jesus died for me. I want to put my faith in him. I want to lead you in a prayer that does that. You can, you can pray this out loud. You can whisper it in your heart. But this is the way we have a relationship with God. By putting our hope and trust in Jesus. If you say, Colby, I'm gonna pray that with you, would you right now just shoot your hand up wherever you are in this room? No one's looking. This is just for you, really to acknowledge before God. It's not even for me. This is a step that you take, raising your hand, saying, God, I wanna surrender my life. I wanna trust Jesus for forgiveness of sin. I wanna trust that Jesus died for my, my salvation and all my sins once and for all. And so I'm gonna give him my all. Awesome, 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 amazing. Put your hands down. Say something like this in your heart. Jesus, Save me, forgive me for my sin, forgive me for going my own way. I trust that you paid it all on the cross so I would not have to. Jesus, the only way I can say thank you is by now devoting my life to you. From turning from my sin, repenting and turning towards you and running this race that you've marked out for me. So God, today I confess Jesus as Lord. Tell him that again, I confess you as Lord and as Savior. And from this moment on, I choose to follow you with all my days, being the best manager of everything you've given me in Jesus' name, amen. Come on, church, let's celebrate. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If you made a decision to follow Jesus into your life and accept him as Lord and Savior, we would love to know about it you can go online to elevatechurch.com forward slash yes, and there'll be some practical next steps for you to take along this journey. If you want to commit to feeling the mission and vision of this church, to see people far from God reach their full potential in Christ, you can go online to elevatechurch.com forward slash give.